we're live. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, and welcome to another episode of Strong Tea. Um, if you haven't joined us before, this is a podcast that talks about all the things uh, that Vicky and, I, Vicky and I are very, very passionate about. It talks about taboo topics, it talks about topics that we wish to educate ourselves on further, and that we wish to educate others on further. Things that we feel need visibility, and today is no exception. Um, also, what we're doing today is we're introducing you to our mini Pride series. As we're in June, we are launching our Pride series and we have some fantastic episodes coming up with some amazing guests. And once again, today is no exception. So before we get into that, I'm going to start the ball rolling with finding out what are you drinking? Let's ask our guests first. Sab, what, you, what have you got in your cup today? Hello, I have got uh, a cup of tea in my fabulous Drag Queen Story Hour UK mug. Available on my website. (laughs) (laughs) Merchandise is available. (laughs) Is it it a bog standard cup of tea or is it something special? It's gone already, I can tell you. Um, (laughs) It's... um, uh, it's a bog standard cup of tea. I mean, I do like normal breakfast tea. Uh, I do have two sugars. I'm trying to cut down on sugars because the past year I have had two fillings. I uh, I am blaming my boyfriend because he's always the one who goes, do you want a cup of tea? And I am always the one who goes, yeah, sure, why not? I never ask for cups of tea. <laughs> when he's not around, I don't drink tea. I'm not even a tea drinker. I don't even like tea that much, but it's <laughs> something to drink, isn't it? I'd be better off with water, but water's not very nice to drink when it's warm it's on its warm. own, isn't it? It's a bit hot. Yeah, so, but yeah, is just he, a bog standard cup of tea. Is he equivalent of a feeder? Is it like a tea feeder? <laughs> no, I'm the feeder. No, I'm a feeder. I'd like to want any food. Do you want any food? Do you, do you want me to cook you? I hate Marmite. Hate, hate Marmite. I also hate peanut butter. I hate, I hate Marmite worse, but I hate peanut butter. My boyfriend puts Marmite on peanut butter on toast. Whoa. Oh, that's sin. Really... Sin. It's a sin. That's oh. I am such a feeder that I am somebody who will say, do you want some marmite on peanut butter on toast <laughs> that's how much of a feeder i am i'm willing to touch it to make they, it and they're two really quite strong foods aren't they to like get involved with to you know to actually spread on toast for someone absolutely and it's not just that right i don't know if anybody, anybody who is ocd right but when you know when you've got like two knives to one to go in marmite want to go in peanut butter right but how many times have you ever put on like a spread and got the exact amount you need on your knife mm-hmm. the first time because no, nobody you have to go in for double don't you you always have to go in for double, double. Dip. or double or dip. you've got more on your knife than you need so you have to mm-hmm. put it back because you don't want to you know don't want to waste right well that means marmite <laughs> and peanut butter you can't put together you can't put it together because it just spreads and mixes together congels so quickly so there I am I've got one knife in the peanut butter one knife in the marmite I'm like trying to get the exact amount because you can't reuse it now because once it's on there it's gone it's mixed I use like five knives to make this uh, toast for him right (laughs) but I still ask it if he wants him does he appreciate it no (laughs) no last time I made it he goes on a bit too much marmite I might make it yourself (laughs) <laughs> but anyway yeah bog standard cup of tea oh, okay. 
Vicky, what have you gone for? No answer. What? No answer is going to top that. So you know. No, and I've gone way off piece. I've got a coffee. I do apologise. <laughs> oh, I know. I've let today? the side down. I've let everyone down. I'm sorry, but yeah, I'm 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 ready for it. I took the uh, caffeine hit. <laughs> well, no, that's fine. That's fine. Whatever, whatever works. I've gone for a chai tea latte. Very uh, chilled. Nice. Yeah, nice, nice and calming with some frothy milk. Oh, nice. I know. Very good too. Well, without further ado, because I want to get into this because this absolutely. is we're so lucky to have Sab join us today. Just give you a little intro to our fabulous guest. Sab Samuel is also known as his fabulous alter ego, Ada HD. Sab is the founder of Drag Queen Story Hour UK and is Britain's first full-time drag queen storyteller, as well as being the first drag queen in Europe to read stories uh, to children in nurseries. Um, he's also a proud advocate for autistic, ADHD, and LGBTQ plus people everywhere. He's author, director, app um, inventor. You have got strings to your massive cello. What can I say? Um, so welcome, welcome, welcome. So pleased and honoured that you're with us today, Sab. And it tell is, us a bit about yourself and how did ADHD come into your life? It is my pleasure to be here. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, ADHD, you know, people always go, oh, my goodness me, you're a drag queen called ADHD. You're taking the mick out of ADHD people. And I'm like, firstly, if I want to take the mick out of myself, I will take the mick out of myself. (laughs) Secondly, I can't blame them for assuming that I might not be ADHD um, and maybe taking the mick out of ADHD. They don't know I'm ADHD. It is in the name. Might not be obvious but they might not know. They might think I'm taking the mic. So I, one, always try to highlight that I am also not just ADHD, I am ADHD and ADHD. Um, <laughs> and I obviously chose that name quite specifically. Uh, I remember sitting there one day going, oh, I'm going to do drag uh, for a bit of a laugh as well, actually. I was going to do drag just for a bit of a laugh. Um, and I said, oh, I've got to ch- use a name. What name, you know? I don't know what you were. Uh, and I thought, you know, I can either create this whole character that is completely different to me. I have to build up this character, you know, or I just expand on who I am. And expanding on who I am seemed so much easier at the time, considering I didn't think it would be my career. <laughs> so <laughs> how wrong I was. Um, so now, of course, I've got ADHD, the story time drag queen as my official long title uh, or Ada HD or Ada for short um, and I read stories to children and I write my children's books as well and perform them um, so it, I think it was 2016 I want to say it's 2016 in the United States there were some drag queens reading stories to children and I kind of saw them sitting there holding a book and reading a story and it brought me back to when I was a child where I was just so bored <laughs> in my <laughs> library watching somebody reading like like don't get me wrong the drag artists were dressed fabulously and I'm pretty sure as a kid I'd have been like wow colors but I can't imagine sitting there in front of a drag artist or anybody doesn't even matter actually anyone where they just sat there reading a story. Make it fun. So I did. So I wrote my children's books to be interactive. I take books that other people have written and I change them 
to be this interactive pantomime marching around the room. I say, ooh, you say, ah, style book. Now, there is a book called I Say, Ooh, You Say, Ah, which I thought was an amazing book. And um, I uh, have only read a couple of times, uh, but it's an amazing book. If um, anybody wants to go and find a, a really cool book that is interactive for, for your children that you shouldn't use um, for bedtime at all, but um, <laughs> definitely go find uh, I Say, Ooh, You Say, Ah, great book. Um, I've just made it interactive. So fast forward to when I was 22 years old, which was five years ago. Uh, now you've got my age. <laughs> uh, I uh, sat in front of some children in the nursery and read some children some stories in drag. Um, and it kind of went from there, to be honest. It kind of exploded. I quit my job as a marketing executive. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, big jump yeah. then. <laughs> Just kind of quit my job. Uh, I quit. I had multiple jobs actually. I kind of the fact that I had multiple jobs that I was kind of doing it made it easier to quit one of the bigger jobs, keep the other jobs just in case, kind of thing. And, but I ended up fully self-employed, and that worked. It worked very, very well. Mm-hmm. And now I'm performing as the story time drag queen persona for Greenpeace or for the British Museum at MCM Comic Cons, biggest convention in Europe. Um, I am being emailed to work with some of the most prestigious businesses and organizations in the country some of which I can't even tell you because I've signed under a non-disclosure agreement. uh, and uh, I am now two times, nearly three times, published author. Um, wow. So, yeah, that's what Age of HD is. Uh, that's <laughs> who I am. So had you, had, did you create Age of HD purely for Drag Queen Story Hour UK? Or had you done drag before and you decided to develop it into this Storytime Queen? Or was it purely for Storytime? What I can say is that the age of 15 years old, and if you Google YouTube, you can find it somewhere. Um, uh, 15 years old, I was uh, uh, in my school play in drag uh, for the very first time, actually. Uh, it wasn't a character known as ADHD. It was a completely different character. It was a school play where the teacher, I remember specifically, uh, the head of English came up to me and goes, we've got this um, character who's the evil villainess. Uh, she's called Bella Zabub. And I thought, oh, what a great drag name. <gasps> Bella Zabub. Uh, and uh, Bella Zabub uh, is the evil villainess of this play. Uh, would you like to play this character? Now, this is not controversial, but it required some deep thought at the time because I was 15 years old in an all-boys school and horrendously, horrendously bullied. I recently bumped into one of my English teachers from what's 12 years ago now, this month just gone, I literally bumped into one of my teachers and they remembered me (laughs) for two reasons. One, because of the amount of bullying, but secondly, because I said, do you remember that kid who dressed up in drag for the school play 12 years ago? And her words were, (laughs) I repeat, her words were, Yes, it's been scarred into the very brain of my... 
I was like, lovely. Um, so uh, first time, 15 years old, I actually was in drag. And I actually got some really, really good feedback. I actually got a letter from the governess <laughs> uh, praising me, a letter from the head praising me. Um, uh, I was just well praised from, you know, tons of uh, people above me and like the adult area of the world. But that's not the, the actual praise that I remember getting. That's not the praise that stuck in my mind. Uh, the praise that I remember is when a bully came up to me on the Monday after. And they came up to me and they said, uh, did you, uh, you, uh, you dressed as a woman for the, for the school play, didn't you? And I said, um, yeah, what's it to you? Now, um, yeah, what's it to you was actually a very brave response, by the way, because it was only last month prior that uh, this bully uh, had actually um, uh, kicked me uh, into my head he kicked my head uh, uh so uh to be approached by this bully to be said you dressed up as a woman for the school play uh, and for me to then go um yeah what's it to you uh was a little bit brave um uh I wasn't scared uh whatsoever but it was definitely brave um and I had this kid after hearing me going yeah what's it to you looked at me and went yeah fair play fair play mate and walked off and never bullied me again wow wow and it's interesting because what had happened is that I had sat with my English teacher asking me if I wanted to do that uh, uh, character in drag. Me wanting to, but being scared of what other people might say. And because I listened to my urge to be who I wanted to be, rather than listening to that fear of what other people might say, I actually affected other people around me. I more or less inspired some others as well, which I have figured out uh, and been told later on as well, mm -hmm. but I affected for the better people around me. Um, and it's that specific instance in my mind that has played mm -hmm. on repeat and inspiring me as well to try and, I don't know, replicate that moment as many times as possible. Because if I, as of age 15, dressing in drag, can prevent a bully from affecting myself then surely me dressing in drag and doing that exact same thing in front of young children will do the exact same thing of course it will uh, not to mention um, the stories that I'm reading will also be LGBTQ stories um, so you know I see it as a win-win scenario um, and I think you know when I first tried ADHD many years later, I just wanted to have a go at drag for a laugh. I just, you know, it was a bit of fun. I know I enjoyed it. It was a bit of a laugh, you know, dressing up, glitter, makeup. It's, it's fun, you know, who doesn't like to dress up? Um, but it wasn't until I did that competition in drag that I found myself winning. <laughs> uh, now, I didn't win the whole competition, but I actually won my heat within this competition. It was called Drag Idol. Um, and I won this, com this heat and I was like, oh, wow, I'm actually quite good at this. And I didn't want to be that stereotypical drag queen who did insult, crude humour. Not that I can't do that, because I can. Mm. But I wanted to base my character off who I was as a person and not create this whole brand new character, like I've already said. So I wanted to expand on who I was. And I knew that I loved poetry. 
I loved writing. I loved affecting people's lives and inspiring other people. That's not what I like to do. So I thought, well, why can't I do that in drag? And then I put one and two together and suddenly Ada was born. So, but yes, technically I did do a couple of shows as an adult entertainer for, I think, about a good year um, before I ended up slowly transforming into this story time drag queen, mm. um, of which I've now been fully just the story time drag queen, I think, for about three and a half years. So. I find it fascinating because you've, you've touched upon, I think, something we're going to go into a bit more depth a little bit later, but the power of drag and how you've inspired and been quite a role model, which, you know, in essence, is age is just an extension of yourself, as you said. So you as a person are inspiring. It's not necessarily Ada or the drag. It's, it's, it's you. And I find that quite, yeah, it's, it's lovely. I just, yeah, I can't really... It, use the word it's just very empowering and powerful could for people who are listening can you define what drag is you know what let's can we, shall we do a um a uh, a uh, definition frequently asked questions rounds of yes. what certain words actually mean and what's the difference between uh you know these different words i think yeah. For people who are scared to ask, um, I think the first thing to remember is that you shouldn't be scared to ask anything. Um, there's nothing that you shouldn't be scared to ask. If you are wanting to know the answer to it because you are genuinely interested uh, to ensure that maybe you don't hurt, hurt other people's feelings, then there's no pain in asking this question. So firstly, I think one of the first questions is what's the difference between drag and trans? Are they the same? Um, a trans person is genuinely, actually that gender they're trying to portray as, of which they are. So for example, um, uh, trans is when somebody is born uh, uh, assigned male, but actually they are female. And that's what trans is. Whereas drag is more performance and art and uh, theatre. Uh, and it's not somebody trying to be that gender that, that they are. You know, they're not trying to transition. Um, some people might not be able to tell the difference between one or the other. Um, but my question to them would be, how would that affect the way that you treat them? And it wouldn't. If somebody is just dressing in drag because their performance or their, you know, a hobby or whatever, um, that shouldn't make you affect them any differently or treat them any differently. Um, you might be scared on pronouns. That's another one, you know. Um, there's no fear in asking, oh, what's, you know, what do I call you? Um, people are scared to say, what are your pronouns? They think it's quite formal. Um, you can informally just say, oh, what do I call you, by the way? Um, or what's your name? Uh, that's sometimes helpful as well. Um, uh, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think the word queer is interesting. I'm going to be using the word queer from now on. Um, queer was an identity, always originally was an identity for LGBTQ people. Uh, you know, and I mean, years ago, it was always an identity. Some people listening are probably thinking, I thought queer was an insult. It got changed into an insult, yes. Uh, and it got re-reclaimed back into an identity again. Uh, there are about two generations worth, maybe three generations worth of people who have dealt with the word queer and uh, have dealt with it negatively. 
So you're, you're dealing with people who have been in classrooms and their whole, you know, work colleagues potentially using the word queer behind their back or in front of their face. And it just hurts to hear the word. And I, you know, I feel for the pe- those people, you know, because the word queer is an identity. It, it, it is an identity. It has been used as a slur, but so has the word gay. So has the word lesbian or dyke. You know, all of these words have been used as a slur but it doesn't take away from the fact that they are identities. And if there are some heteronormative people who want to use these words as slurs, then do it. But there's nothing that you can do to take away from the fact that these words are an identity and are the person that you are describing. So for me, if somebody goes, oh, are you gay? Um, or, oh, you're a gay boy or you're queer, I'll go, yes, correct. <laughs> Correct. Um, however, I will say that my favourite thing to do is when someone does shout, oh, were you gay? Uh, my best response is, yeah, you interested? Uh, and then they quickly <laughs> shut up. <laughs> and thus highlighting the uh, the uh, confidence that some men feel within their own sexuality. Um, <laughs> as um, I suppose this is, this is something that we always try... Vicky and I are very keen on trying to be allies um, to the LGBTQ community. And we're always trying to find out what are the main challenges and prejudices that you face personally as a queer person and what, what can be done from an outsider's perspective? What can we do? <laughs> um. I'm going to give you two examples here. You need to, I mean, the first example is me telling you, you need to realize your own mistakes and faults that you're doing because you do, because people do them. And, and, and it's, it's like, oh, it's harmless. And it's like saying, well, some of these faults, they are harmless in the short run. It's just a one comment, but everyone's making these comments. So you've got to realize that these small harmless comments that you might say oh it's just a harmless comment you know these harmless comments are happening all the time though that's the problem (laughs) you know and as somebody's saying a small little harmless comment um regularly in front of a child um not even regularly to be fair it happened just once uh you're going to destroy that child's confidence in themselves up to the point where they have to realize they might be queer themselves i'll give you an example um i remember when I was a kid, uh, I wanted to try my mum's lipstick. Very young as well. And I remember me going, oh, can I try that on? Or can I, can I try? I think I grabbed it. I was like, oh, can I? And I heard my dad go, no, what? Can't, don't let him do that. Now, my dad, <laughs> uh, he went through the journey and the growth as a person to be the person to say oh I can't wait to meet your boyfriend like (laughs) you went through that growth um uh, for sure uh but I remember that moment where he said no you can't don't let him do that lipstick and that one comment that only happened once was enough to make me be like oh that's obviously a bad thing then I won't do that and then here I am like wearing lipstick for a career (laughs) (laughs) so that's just kind of one specific thing that's a small little comment that you think oh it's just harmless but it's not second one is uh the 
body language of people, which is very clear and very obvious. Uh, you need to realize that you have got your own issues as well, sometimes with body language, where you might react slightly differently when there's some queer people around, <laughs> and you do. Um, me and my partner holding hands in the street, it's just so obvious when you get like some straight people kind of looking at your hands and then kind of tapping that you know, the person like, like, look, look. And it's like, we're not monkeys in a cage. You know? <laughs> like, I feel sorry for some people who have gone through their life to the point where they haven't seen a gay person in their life. They're like, oh my God, look at that. Like, like the, do, do you know what I mean? Like, imagine if somebody who lived um, in uh, Australia came to, the United, uh, came to the United Kingdom to see uh, uh, some koalas in a zoo. They'd probably look at the koalas and go, yeah, I've seen that many times before, thanks. You know, <laughs> I already know what a koala looks like. Um, but imagine living on this planet and never having seen a gay person. You have, you're just blind. Mm. Uh, and if you're not blind, you're prejudice mm. and that, that's the problem because people who see people in the street who are queer and do the whole oh yeah, oh mm. I see your hands holding oh there's a smile there's a laugh <laughs> uh yeah that's a small little small little microaggression that you, you might think mm. it might even be that you look at us and give us a smile and say oh that's lovely it's like the amount of people that have come up to me and my boyfriend going oh it's just I, I accept you. And I'm there going, yeah, thanks for that. But like, I'm just walking to Tesco, to be honest. <laughs> uh, and I, it's nice, I suppose. You know, it comes from a good place. But it's, just don't do that. <laughs> don't, just don't, just don't. Or give a uh, round just, of applause. Oh, they're holding hands. Oh, oh it's so annoying. It's so annoying. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I think they're some of the nicest things that I could say that are the bad stuff. I mean, some of the other bad stuff that I've received are death threats and I've had, you know, attacks on me and been kicked out of taxis and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the, um, the job voice, the job uh, interview voice that I think many queer people will understand is when you apply for a job, um, your voice goes a little bit lower and you're like, hi there, yeah, I'm just a... Uh, not going to out myself as gay until I get the job <laughs> because you don't know who's interviewing you might be homophobic and they're going to be like oh we don't want a gay person working at, at, at you know and they can get away with it by just going no not qualified and you know it's uh, and then there's that worry that you know what if you get into that job and you find out they are homophobic do you mm. want to work there yeah. like it's there's like so many kind of battlefields of do I act myself or do I have to mask who I am for the sake of a job for the sake of um meeting people in a pub you know the question when did you come out all the time you know you're walking mm. down the street you see people they all the time you have to come out um you know it's people say it, it gets it gets easier to come out it also gets more boring you know <laughs> so yeah I think there's, there's lots of things that are kind of not perfect um, but then if you compared it to 20, 30 years ago, I mean, it, it was illegal to uh, discuss homosexuality in schools, mm. you know, between 1998 to 2003, you know, it was illegal, Section 28. Um, so obviously it is getting better, but like, oh, 
it's just so tiring, you know. I feel famous sometimes. You walk down the street, all these straight people watching you. You're like, mm-hmm. hello, yes, we are <laughs> gay. Uh, would you like a photo? Like, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's tiring sometimes. It, it sounds like from what you've said, you know, the fact that you've received death threats um, and, you know, you've been bullied and, you know, attacked over time and things like that. Yet you still exude this resilience and this strength you know you've still got the confidence to walk down the road with your boyfriend and I think that's amazing have you always had that sort of inner strength or is that sort of grown over time or have you just got to the point where you just think do you know what sod it this is who I am I don't care what you think about me it's interesting you should mention that actually uh I spoke to a psychotherapist not for me uh, they're actually just a friend of a friend actually a friend of my mother um, and I spoke to the psychotherapist and she explained to me her um her perception her opinion of the coming out process and she said the coming out process um is actually very 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 similar to a midlife crisis uh whereas the result of a midlife crisis is you become highly confident in who you are and you know who you are and it doesn't matter what other people think um the process of me coming out was going oh is this who I am yes this is who I am and now I have got a confidence in who I am this is it um and it's interesting because I think many queer people have that exuberance that that confidence to be able to walk down the street regardless of what's happened because they've gone through that midlife crisis-esque um, battle of going, this is who I am. Um, so yes, I do have that confidence to be able to do that, but not everyone does. Um, I will tell you, it's a bit, pretty sordid topic, uh, but um, on average, I would, I would kind of estimate one, uh, uh, seven out of, so seven people out of a whole of a queer community would probably die from suicide or murder or be beaten up uh, across a year's period. Um, you know, I live in uh, Cardiff and it was only a couple of months ago that uh, somebody was murdered in the, 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 the park 10 minutes away from where I live um, for being uh, queer. Uh, they were kicked to death by three people um, with gay slurs shouted at them so like you know um seven people on average I'm kind of expecting that I either know or I don't know but within the queer community in my area that's kind of my expectation that's what I've kind of been feeling and what I've been counting not statistics by the way just how I feel about it um it might be less might be more even I don't know but um it's just every year goes by I just I feel like I can count at least seven people who I know has disappeared because you know you know however um so you know (laughs) it's um yeah I've forgotten what I was saying now (laughs) so we were just talking about the the strength and resilience and, and being yourself and yeah so yeah that strength and resilience I've got but some other people don't and you know some of them are the people who commit suicide some of them are those who end up in depression uh uh, some people 
bow down to it up to a certain level so they don't feel like they are good enough so they don't really push themselves to be better people uh you know i've got some friends who i know who are great at a certain topic but don't feel like they could go into the world and do that um uh you know i i don't think this is an example because i think the person i'm about to talk about her actually does have the confidence that i have as well uh but uh, an example is somebody who i know is trying to be a comedian um and I would say uh, you know, they're actually very good as well, uh, but they um, they would be a perfect example of somebody who is potentially not got the confidence to go into being a full time comedian. Uh, and that confidence that they might lack would come from that massive build up of gay slurs and confidence reduction over time. Uh, and I think that is a big problem. That's the big problem that we've got is that people are dying. And that's what Drag Race Story UK is about. You know, I'm trying to ensure that these kids grow up with this knowledge of being queer and being gay um, with the idea that it is OK. Um, and that hopefully by reducing the amount of gay slurs that go on, we don't have a kind of generation of queer people who don't have the confidence to do something with their life because their entire life has been a, you know, a bring down and uh, being told to, you know, go and kill themselves, stuff that I've had sent to me. In fact, I've had somebody send me a picture of a gun <laughs> and say, you should kill yourself with this. <laughs> so, um, so like, yeah, you know, there's a, I've got confidence. You are right. But I, I'm, you know, it's, that's why I do what I do because I have the confidence to be able to put up with it. Mm. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I've, uh, I've got notifications on my phone at the moment that I can see as we're talking. And throughout this whole conversation so far that we've had, I've had two notifications telling me uh, that, that I'm a paedophile or whatever for what I'm doing. So, uh, so two times so far during this uh, 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 interview we're having, uh, I've had someone calling me a paedophile. That's shocking. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's just horrendous. And, the fact that you've still got, like you said, you know yourself well enough and confident enough to have that resilience and stand up and say, I am who I am and I'm not. And almost like not laugh them off, but kind of, you know, but that's them. This is me and I'm driving forward. You know, the, the message you're trying to deliver is far more important than those who are trying to drag you down. You know, these keyboard warriors and trolls that are just spouting hot air and just being hurtful. Um but you were talking about before about the power of drag. Why is it so important for the LGBT plus community? And I know in our previous chat, we talked about the history of drag. Could you um, tell our listeners a bit more about that? Yeah, so lighter topic, uh, <laughs> history of drag. Uh, do you know what I love? People always tell me that, you know, I say people always tell me, actually, no, people don't always tell me at all. Uh, what people always tell me is, uh, people always ask me why drag and children. What some people tell me is that dr drag and children shouldn't be together because drag has got nothing to do with the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and that really, really annoys me. Um, uh, furthermore, people like to say that drag is just what they would like to call, uh, quotation mark, um, woman face, uh, which what they're referring to there is, uh, a comparison to blackface. Uh, oh my God, I generally 
can't I, 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 I can't fully understand where people's brains come to that uh, it's 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 very infuriating when somebody uh, says that because what they're basically saying is they think drag and blackface are equal um and it's definitely not uh so i mean for example drag and blackface they both came from completely different parts of history uh we know where we all know where blackface came from uh and as as i've as i have basically said um uh you know the day that i find in history where a bunch of drag queens um uh stole sold on enslaved uh and then murdered whilst dancing around their dead bodies uh, a bunch of women then that's the day that i stopped dressing in drag uh <laughs> you know it's uh you know, and drag, you know, drag brought up LGBTQ rights as well, whereas blackface did not uh, when it comes to people of colour's rights. Uh, drag, really, I mean, you could go all the way back, really, to Telestes, which is before, you know, before Jesus Christ, um, which is, uh, Telestes was a, a Greek uh, mime artist you know you could kind of look back at as early as the closest thing that we can relate to drag in itself so drag is older than Jesus by the way um, <laughs> uh, if you want to go down to the LGBTQ rights you know this um, this uh, year it is 50 years of uh, pride in London um, 1969 which was 2019 was 50 years of Stonewall which is a uh, the Stonewall riots, uh, and I think it's—I I think it's a bit of a double slap in the face, to be honest, as well. When they talk about the woman face and black face, because I don't know if you knew, but I, did you know that um, it was a black drag king, <laughs> not even a queen, a drag king that threw the first punch for LGBTQ rights. Um, so there was a drag king called Stormy de Lavari um, who died actually. Um, uh, in 2014, mm. I think, uh, as an American woman uh, known as the butch lesbian. Um, uh, she was the spark that basically ignited the Stonewall riots of 1969. Uh, and along with um, uh, a couple of other famous activists who were also drag queens and uh, black trans people as well, um, uh, the first pride riot pride march that ever happened in 1969 in june happened um because of these drag queens and these black trans people and it wouldn't we wouldn't have rights today if it weren't for these very first outbursts of um anger against the police and you know there's a there's this so much injustice that's happened. For example, someone called Marsha P. Johnston. Um, uh, they're they're really famous when it comes to the first rights uh, that we've received from that 1969 first march. Um, Marsha P. Johnson. Now, Marsha P. Johnson wasn't actually at the Stonewall riot. The Stonewall riot was when uh, the police decided to go into a bar, a gay bar called Stonewall Inn, and essentially kick everyone out and harass them all and 
try to arrest people uh, for the sake of them just being gay. Like they just, it was, it was just nastiness. And um, uh, it was that Stonewall riot that basically kicked off the, uh, the first Pride. Marsha P. Johnson was at the first Pride and um, she, um, you know, she actually ended up creating what's something called STAR. Uh, it was an organisation to help homeless young queer people um, from um, being homeless. You know, they took, took them on board and um, looked after them. Marsha P. Johnson was a, a proper hero. And it, it also my idol, which, you know, I'd, I'd love to kind of talk about idols and stuff. Um, you know, an idol to me is somebody I can look up to, something which I didn't really um, get as a kid. You know, Marsha P. Johnson was, I think, technically the most famous black trans activist in the world, founded Pride, you know. Back then, being gay was actually classified as a mental illness as well. Mm. Um, you know, so people were just threatened regularly. Um, uh, so yeah, you know, um, mm. I kind of relate myself quite strongly to Marsha B. Johnson, uh, constantly kind of putting themselves out there, more or less in harm's way for the sake of the younger generation who are being brought up as queer. Um, and it was quite upsetting actually, because Marsha P. Johnson would be alive today, by the way. Marsha P. Johnson would be alive. But in uh, 1992, uh, she went missing. Um, and six days after she went missing, the police found Marsha's body in the river with a wound on her head. Um, the police deemed it suicide. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, uh, and actually, uh, lo lots of friends apparently also, um, lots of Marsha's friends actually argued with the police saying, no, we'd actually seen people harassing Marsha six days ago that day. Um, uh, but these people were ignored by the police, they didn't care. Um, although I can say in 2012, Marsha's, uh, 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 Marsha's case for suicide was actually reopened as a possible murder. Um, uh, I think it was, I think, uh, yeah. So yeah, there's, a, there's a load of kind of history when it comes to drag and, you know, uh, Marsha's legacy. I, I, I don't know if it, if it is, I don't know if this, there's a statue of Marsha up at the moment now. I believe it is. Uh, but what was meant to happen in 2020, a year that never happened, by the way, um, uh, there was going to be a, um, uh, I think, I, th I want to say in 2020, the mayor of New York renamed East River State Park in Brooklyn to the Marsha P. Johnson State Park. And, and there was going to be a statue unveiled in 2021, but it never got unveiled because of COVID. Uh, and then even after COVID, the statue wasn't put up. <laughs> so all of the Marsha P. Johnson and queer community uh, uh, in New York apparently just got the statue and <laughs> put it up themselves. I think that's what I read, but I don't know if that's uh, true. Um, but yeah, people like Stormy and Marsha, they are the history of drag. Uh, and without these people, I wouldn't be able to walk down the street holding hands with my boyfriend, let alone 
um, even being deemed as not a mental illness. Mm. We we did, um, we featured her on our International Women's Day podcast and just researching her, like she's just fascinating, the the work that she did to support the queer community was just incredible. I, I I know the answer to this question. Well, I think I think I do because I know I think I know from my opinion, and I think I know Vicky's opinion as well. For those listening, why is it important in terms of what you do as a storyteller? Why is it important for the LGBTQ community to be visible to young children? So <laughs> when. Um, I was uh, a kid at my school. Um, I was bullied a lot. The word gay constantly negatively used. Um, And I just, I didn't know I was gay at all, actually. And I remember growing up in, (laughs) going to my, my, my ICT, my computer lessons in school and, um, sat underneath a picture of Alan Turing. Alan Turing, if people don't know, the person who basically saved millions and millions of lives under what I think people know as the Enigma Code, solved that using Enigma Machine. Uh, I believe there's a film called The Imitation Game uh, where Alan Turing is played by Benedict Cumberbatch who uh, I spent a very good long amount of time thinking Benedict Cumberbatch was gay, then I found out he wasn't, and it broke my heart. Um, But uh, I spent years as a kid in my computer lessons underneath Alan Turing, uh, the the father of modern day computing, Um, you know, more or less invented some of the main first programming and computerizational programs and computers we have today. Uh, Saved millions of lives, an amazing person. He, um, uh, he was gay. He was gay. Uh, he um, uh, was never advertised as gay to me as a kid. That would have been the perfect role model for me. In fact, I didn't have a single person in history said to me, oh, this person's gay, by the way. Um, not a single person. In fact, none of the straight boys in my all-boys school were told, oh, this person was also gay either uh, meaning not only do I not see anybody that I can relate to as a gay person in history uh, it means maybe that I you know am I alone in these feelings then there's nobody in history that I've ever heard of so maybe I'm alone in this also means that these um, non-queer people in my school are going never heard of this kind of thing before that's weird then isn't it if when they first get approached to it it's never heard this in history so must be new you must be weird um humans they we love to lash out at the unknown um and when we dealt with uh, you know governments and history of you know straight washing history not saying specifically that alan turing was gay uh alexander the great not saying he was gay andy warhol not saying he was gay uh, well, actually, no, Alan, Alexander the Great, by the way, wasn't gay. Alexander the Great was bi, um, uh, which I love. Um, <laughs> so straight washing history or just eradicating mm-hmm. specific bits of it um, 
I spent no time at all thinking about me potentially being gay up to the point where even when I was being called gay, I wasn't like, oh, I'm not gay. Because uh, that's a negative thing. I remember being in the lunch queue at my school and some boy saying to me, you're very effeminate. And I thought, that's a big word for a bully. And as a joke goes, yeah, but also it's not a joke. That was a big word. It's a descriptive word. In fact, that's not an insult. Although they were trying to make it an insult, they were being specific. I was effeminate. And I realised that day, I remember walking down this 100-metre corridor, the beginning of the corridor, I said to myself, ah, oh, I am quite camp. <laughs> and uh, by the end of that corridor, I remember saying to myself, but I'm not a dirty gay. And it's interesting because for the next 10 years of my life from that very moment, I started this self-loathing process, hating this part of effeminacy that I have, hating this gayness that I have. And it was from that moment that I, you know, slowly started realising, oh, maybe I'm gay then, you know. And um, uh, that self-loathing process took a click of a finger to start. But it was brewed through anti-gay slurs, which mm. were brewed from not having anybody shown to them as being gay. Mm. And this self-loathness brewed from the fact that I was never shown somebody as being gay myself. I went to uni to do mathematics. Alan Turing, modern day father of modern day computing, pretty sure that was the perfect idol for me. <laughs> the perfect mm. person, mathematician who's gay. Oh my goodness me! I'd have had him up. I'd I'd have had a, I'd I'd have had posters up in my walls. I'd have been like, I want to change my name to Alan. Like goodness me! I mean, I mean, it's so obvious. Why, you know? Mm. But you know, I was never, I was never, I was never given that. And a bit like oxygen, once you don't have a role model, you very much quickly die. And I don't mean that as a term of phrase you die inside you die people commit suicide mm. over the idea that they realize they are just somebody who has nothing to do with anybody out, out there people yeah. die from this um the question was why is it important to provide um types of people who are gay to other to young people why is it to show this to them um it's for that very self-loathing reason mm. and also the reason to prevent bullying because yeah. why would you start bullying somebody about being gay um, if it's just a completely normal thing? Mm. Um, and my, people go, oh, but people are always going to bully people for being gay. No, no, they're not. Imagine if you bullied somebody for having blonde hair and you're in a group of lads or something. And I say lads because it's usually the people I expect to be bullying. Sorry. Uh, stereotyping there, but yeah. Um, and a group of lads, and one of the lads say, hey, you've got blonde hair. And the other lads will kind of look at the guy and go, why are you bullying about blonde hair? That's not a thing to bully on. You, you only bully people who are ginger. And it's interesting, because why wouldn't you bully somebody who's blonde hair then? Why not? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, because it's normal. And it's just, it's, it's regular. It's like, well, ha ha. Well, why don't we just make being gay that regular? Yeah then the bullying won't happen. Of course, you know, it's easy-ish to stop bullying. Just normalise it. 
Um, and a very, very, very good example uh, that I was recently shown was a school teacher. Uh, uh, I believe the school teacher was called Mr. Norton, um, who was a maths teacher as well. Yay. Uh, <laughs> who uh, had uh, commented on uh, one of the social medias for Dragon Story Hour UK with a photo of their lesson. And the lesson of the photo is just perfect. I mean, it literally it embodies exactly what I've been saying for, for so many years about what LGBTQ education in schools should really be about. Because the amount of people that go, oh no, they're teaching our children about gay sex. And we're, we're definitely not teaching children about gay sex. Um, I mean, we should be, by the way, but at the appropriate age, of course. Um, but that's not what's going on. So the lesson uh, that was happening in the school um, was a picture of eight hot wings, eight pieces of uh, chicken, and four uh, boxes of fries. And the, and the question underneath was, Mr. Norton and his husband will have half of the takeaway each. How many will, them, um, will they have of each uh, item? Um, and that is the LGBT education that we need because it is not just normalizing it by saying, oh, gay people exist. It's just embedding it within the actual curriculum. Uh, Mr. Norton and his husband will have half of the takeaway each. How many will they have of each item? Com a complete em uh, embodiment of exactly what I've been saying for many years is, you know, of course, you know, there should be lessons on uh, the different types of people in the world for sure. But I mean, why have a specific lesson on it? Why not just mm. embody the whole thing? I'm sick and tired of all of the uh, books that are being uh, portrayed in English literature. Uh, only The only books being portrayed are, you know, white middle-class authors um, that only have characters who are white and middle class. Uh, like, don't get me wrong, Shakespeare. Ooh. We've just lost Sab. <laughs> oh, he's back. There he is. <laughs> don't get me wrong, Shakespeare was great, but uh, I, I could argue there's probably quite a bit of problematic stuff in the actual uh, stories themselves. Uh, even though they are really great stories. And if I'm perfectly honest, I think it's really easy to uh, modernise a lot of Shakespearean plays to um, make them uh, uh, make them slightly more modern anyway. And which, to be fair, most of the stories that you've heard anyway, um, say, for example, Lion King, uh, that's, a, that's Shakespeare, by the way. Yeah. So. <laughs> I love what you've put on your website because everything that you're saying is there's a quote for this saying, um, if you are introduced to something in a positive way, you will react in a positive way. And I think that's a lovely kind of summarizing of what you're saying and that whole um, idea of having role models when you're younger and being able to identify something when you're younger will make it the norm and won't make you feel so isolated because I'm from the generation before, before, your, before yours, um, where it was kind of, you know, being bi like I am, there was absolutely no one to look up to. There was absolutely no one, let alone being as part of an education or, you know, so it took me, a, you know, most of my life to be able to get to the point where I am now. So I'm loving the idea of, you know, instilling it as a norm in education and to stop that identity covering, like you were saying, 
a little while ago in that you know when you're on the phone to a potential employer you cover your identity because you just don't know how they're going to react and you know obviously utopia hopefully is around the corner when we don't need to do that anymore but that whole point of kind of embedding it as a norm now is just yeah brilliant yeah well that's, that's exactly that you know um and i've uh I, I would hope that utopia is around the corner but um it won't be <laughs> so I, I don't see it happening I, I, at the moment I feel like it's getting worse so that's unfortunate um and I would you know it's just as a comment as well you saying that um uh generation above me I hear lots of people within your generation saying oh we didn't have um uh gay people you know <laughs> when we were your age it's like no you did uh, did. Like, oh, yeah. nobody was there in the, you know in the you know no famous people were it's like no Freddie Mercury you did. Boy George <laughs> do you know what I mean like it, you definitely definitely did yeah um uh was it great uh, I love Grace Jones because mm-hmm. she was just the embodiment of somebody who was like I really don't care if you think I'm a masculine yeah. woman like shut up um these people were but they but they were told not to say they were gay or yeah. queer or lesbian or trans in whichever way you know they were told not to um so yeah um it's it's i i i think lots of mm. lots of straight people need to sit and down and realize that we are you know queer people are growing up now to see a history that has been hidden yeah not that never happened hidden away yeah. Um, and I could say a lot about what was hidden away in terms of history when it comes to um, and deleted from uh, the 1980s and 1970s uh, uh, pandemic for AIDS and mm. HIV. Yeah. Because um, I think that's also barbaric, considering uh, for about 10 years, the government knew that AIDS was happening amongst the queer communities and they not mm. only um, let it happen, they hid information so that it could continue to happen mm. in a hope that it would delete queer people. Like yeah. it, it was, it's, it's, it is, um, uh, I, I still don't think uh, what the governments across the world did for people who were queer um, and getting HIV and AIDS uh, have paid for their actions because mm. they genuinely allowed i mean it's the same thing as saying um oh we're going to not tell the, the whole world about covid so that we can kill off a, a larger proportion of people you know that's exactly what they did mm. <laughs> so mm. that's a yeah deleting history as well as hiding history away um mm. it's very clear that that's happened and it hurts to see yeah so. i'm very conscious of the time that we have left and i want to hear about your books but first before you um tell us about them um obviously in the news i think it was probably 6 to 8 months ago there was a lot of discussion around schools and i think it was predominantly in the west, west midlands area where um schools wanted to teach about education um about you know all all types of people exactly like you're saying is more needed you know they wanted to talk about trans people they wanted to talk about gay relationships how it's okay to have two dads and the parents protested outside the gates because they said we don't want our children being taught this I read a meme at the time that said I learned 
all about Hitler, but you see me invading Poland, you know, and, uh, you know, <laughs> that exact, <laughs> that exact sort of uh, ignorance, I suppose, is so rife in a certain generation of people. I, I, I guess my question to you in doing what you do, it's such a positive thing to be bringing to children. It's not sitting down and go, you know, like you say that there's a sort of, there can be a way of teaching about it that normalizes it. What are the sort of some of positive and negative responses you've had from people about what you do and about how you're educating children? So I think the first thing is that people, I say normalizing uh, being queer all the time when actually in actual fact we realize what we're actually doing we're not normalizing it it wasn't abnormal to start off with yeah. um these children are not being taught to hate of which we then need to fix but you know at the very beginning these children are accepting of queer people uh but they're being taught to hate um by these lessons we aren't normalizing queer we are preventing hate of queer that's i think that's something that i think maybe should be more talked about more i think but um uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of positives, I've got some great stories when it comes to the really cute and positive things that have come about. Uh, I remember one time uh, I uh, uh, went to a story hour uh, in London and uh, there were these, uh, these children that were watching and they were a little bit older than what I'm used to. I'm going to say maybe... 12 or 13 and during that 12 and 13 year olds story time they've sat there uh listening to exactly everything that I was saying and afterwards they came up to me and they said hi there we um we're by we haven't told anybody in fact you're the first person we've told when's the best time to come out to my uh our families our families and I said um oh now, I want to say, and I will say this, you know, if you want to come out, anybody listening, come out. It does get better. But make sure that you are actually coming out in a safe environment. Do not come out if you're not in a safe environment, because actually that's just not going to, you know, it's not helpful. Um, uh, it will, it, yeah, make sure you're safe when you come out. Um, but I can't say all of that to children who are the age of 13, because um, I need to really take into account that they might not know if it's safe, I don't want to say the word safe as well. I don't want to scare them in some ways as well. So the, the, the phrase that I say is, um, you should come out when you are ready to come out, uh, which I think says it all. I think that's kind of the same thing, but just in a nicer way. And I said that to them. And they said, oh, I'm going to come out. We're going to come out tonight. To, to, you know, we're going to tell our families tonight. And I went away from this uh, story hour and I had uh, um, cried on the way home. I thought, wow, tonight somebody's, some people's lives might be changing dramatically. I think thinking back to when I had to do that, it's very, 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 it can be very traumatic or not, you know, it depends who you're telling. Um, and I cried all the way home. Uh, uh, and the best story, part about this story is one month ago, um, I got approached by a kid. It was one of those children. And I went, oh my goodness me, 
you've grown. And <laughs> 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 I go, yeah. And I go, oh, I said, um, so how, how have things been? How are they, you know? And they said, oh, yeah, uh, we came out uh, and our families accept us and love us. It all went really well. And I was like, ah! <laughs> and we had a whole, like, a queer laugh. I'm like, ah! <laughs> uh, and it was really really quite funny uh, and just great and really really heartwarming and I just it made me made me really happy to hear that you know I've affected these kids lives in such a great way um, and it made, made me very happy to hear uh, so that's a really nice little kind of feedback I get lots of messages um, online as well uh, like only you know yesterday I uh, I got a message about a story hour that I attended over um uh, in uh, Swansea I did a, uh, uh, an event in Swansea uh, called Mini Pride with National Museum of Wales mm-hmm. um and I got a great little message saying how great it was and uh their daughter now says that I'm the best drag queen ever which I love <laughs> uh so yeah I did some really great things uh I attend schools as well and I got a really lovely message uh, from a from a kid kid I did a whole talk at a secondary school as well so it's not primary it's a bit more adult stuff mm. uh, I did the talk um, uh, and it was also this school was also in the West Midlands as well and after the talk every, you know kids kind of walk down some of them say hello some of them avoid eye contact and others go oh hello yes you know not, you know this one kid came up to me gave me a letter a little a little note and uh, I've kept this note as well and the note says, sorry for the homophobia of our school. Also, it's a nice outfit. Oh. And what I love is that, one, I've been complimented on my outfit. Thank you. <laughs> but secondly, it's the onus. They, they, they are taking yeah. onus on the homophobia within their school. Sorry for the homophobia of our school. They're taking onus of it. And I love that because what it also indicates is not only are these children owning this type of responsibility, they're aware of the homophobia. Mm, yeah. They, they, no, now, not only are we aware of the queer people in our schools, we're aware of the homophobia as well, which mm. I think is just amazing. So, yeah, some great, great positives. And uh, as probably one of the first key things ever I should have said is that the positives have always and will probably always outweigh uh, the negatives that I receive in Good. every single way. Good. Sab, I mean, yeah, you've positively impacted mine and Katie's world today dramatically, and we can't thank you enough for for coming on. And we ask all our guests um, if they would like to have a final sip, which is basically your final words that you'd like to uh, share with the world. Buy my books online. (laughs) (laughs) Which we Uh, will put the link up for, by the way. Yeah, so uh, buy my books. Yeah, because, yeah, cool. They're cool books. Uh, it's about one, one's about two lesbian hedgehogs, uh, which, is called it, which is called it Snot a Problem, because one of the hedgehogs has a snotty problem. Um, <laughs> uh, another book is about three goats, uh, where one goat is a pink goat, and the two other goats are brown and black, and they get harassed by a white wolf. Uh, and the pink goat has a special superpower that gets revealed at the end. So... Uh, yeah, buy my books. Uh, you can get them from my website. Yeah. <laughs> and there's merchandise. And there's merchandise. There's mugs. There's all sorts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tons of stuff. 
yeah we'll pop we'll pop all the links on uh the podcast and on our website so that um anyone can get hold of it and we'll also pop your social media links so people are able to contact you um about general fabulousness or about um drag queen story hour uk if they want to book you but thank you so much for your time it has been enlightening and it's been brilliant to chat to you yeah thank you so much for having me thank you thank you take care we'll see you soon Bye. Bye. Bye.